just like remembering that art is fun. Like sure, it's frustrating when it doesn't look good and like the end product isn't how you imagined it, but like the process of making it, coming up with different characters and stories, just designing whatever you want, drawing whatever you want, making something out of nothing, like objectively, isn't that just like really cool? everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Delzalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Denise Chan. She is an East Asian artist working as a 2D retake animator for Titmouse in Burbank. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Denise, and I'm a 2D animator slash story artist. I'm from the Bay Area, and I graduated from the AI program in SJSU with these two lovely folks in 2019 after directing my thesis short, Kairu. And I currently work at Titmouse Inc. in, as Yuki mentioned, animation retakes for QForce. And uh, for those that may not know, AI stands for animation illustration is not (laughs) artificial intelligence. (laughs) Yes, I graduated from artificial intelligence university. (laughs) So the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a fun little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices and then you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. First question. Would you rather have Tony Stark's alcoholism? Or Bruce Wayne's trust issues. Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> this is so mean. <laughs> For those that don't know Denise, Denise is a huge Iron Man fan. So I knew I had to ask her an Iron Man related question, but I had to make it difficult enough for her where she just doesn't straight up choose Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you get uh, to be a billionaire? Do you get to be Tony Stark and Bruce Wayne? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, in that case. <laughs> <laughs> but either you have crippling alcoholism or crippling trust issues. <laughs> I mean, I could argue that I already have crippling trust issues. Therefore, <laughs> oh, no, Denise. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't like want alcoholism obviously like that's not something i would go out of my way to (laughs) desire (laughs) but like i will say that is like a huge part of what makes tony stark tony stark so like on one hand i wouldn't want to like be him I just, like, admire him a lot as a character. (laughs) So if you're asking the question in that way, then I guess I would choose trust issues. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I mean, they both kind of work through them, right? Like, that's a part of their arc. Like, Bruce Wayne gets a family that he loves. Yeah, Tony Stark has trust issues too, okay? So Tony Stark, uh, I don't know if he like drinks less, but uh, he gets a family who supports him. I think in the MCU is not super obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's shown drinking like it, but it's not like alcoholism hasn't been specifically said, but yeah. in the comics it is prevalent to his character. Uh, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, Disney wouldn't let him go like that dark, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the comics, definitely. Mm. Even if you did choose trust issues, you have enough of Bruce Wayne's money to make your own bat Iron Man suit. So yeah, you, yeah. Can- you could be Iron Man still, but uh, with a different <laughs> character. <laughs> but with different trust issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, last question. Would you rather travel with your sibling, with your soul trapped in a suit of armor like Alphonse from Full Metal Alchemist, or as a demon where you have to travel in a box carried by your sibling like Nezuko? Ooh, probably Al, because Nezuko, mm. she doesn't like get to talk or do that much. I mean, she like eventually gets to like do cool stuff later and like fight and everything, but definitely feel like Al has more... Um, freedom i guess he can Mm. like even though his soul is like trapped in the Mm -hmm. gate or whatever he can still do things you do get to be more out and about that's true Mm -hmm. you're not worried about being burnt up by the sun you just have to worry about somebody smudging your your blood stain in your suit of armor (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah somebody rubs up against the inside of your armor (laughs) and you're gone forever Or somebody just wets it. That's also a fear of the rain. The rain can be bad. Oh, no. I think he's been in the rain before. I think that, like, is is not an issue or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe I'd be Nezuko. Kind of lazy. Be carried around in a box. Sleep for half of the the day. (laughs) Yeah, the sleeping part does sound really nice. Oh, that's true. Alphonse doesn't get to sleep. Oh, that is true. Yeah, it's very lonely. I do like sleeping. (laughs) Yeah. That actually turns the tides. I think I would go in a box. Because sleep is so precious. Sleep is so damn precious. I do not want to give that up. I mean, I do love both of them. Obviously, it's like a very hard decision, but I just wanted to give the other side, I guess. Although, interestingly, I just thought of this, but both of them can't eat food. No. So, oh, damn. <laughs> that sucks. They cannot eat. Yeah. It sucks okay. either way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the one human pleasure. Uh, or maybe be Alphonse <laughs> and I can be tall, finally. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you can do alchemy and like, yeah. And karate. (laughs) Yeah, karate. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, great answers. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for playing in between with us. Yeah, it was fun. (laughs) So you are currently a retake animator slash compositor at Titmouse Inc., for those that may not be too aware, can you tell us what is a retake animator? Right now, I'm technically like retake animator slash compositor. So I do like a little bit of both. But basically in retakes, I address any notes that come in after the main animation. Like main animators have already animated the scene and it's gone through compositing and like edit and everything. And there's like a big range of notes I get. Like sometimes it's really small like fixing a character's eye line or there's like a stray dot or line on the screen that like no one noticed before and I just have to get rid of it but I do have other times when there's like bigger notes that address character acting or like acting beats and I have to reanimate like larger portions of the animation overall it's a pretty great like entry-level job because you're kind of working with other people's files and you can reverse engineer how they put everything together and then like add your own spin on it. So Retake Animator is almost kind of like revisionist, but for animation. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like you're addressing hookup notes and like shot compositions and stuff in a more like final form because I do export the final MOVs that actually like get put into the show. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I didn't even know like a position like that existed, at least uh, stateside. Yeah, me neither. I was <laughs> honestly surprised myself. <laughs> yeah. How did that opportunity come about? Basically through getting recommended from my old boss at Ghostbot. I've 
like kept in touch with him and he sent my information over to the producer over at Qforce and he basically just emailed me and was like, or oh, we're looking for retake animators. Are you available? And you might have to do some compositing later. I had nothing else going on at the time. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I don't know what that means, but I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. So do you like, are you like working in Harmony or are you working After Effects or Flash or Toon Boom? Yeah. So for Qforce, it's all Flash or Adobe Animate as it is now mm. called. But for compositing, I do use After Effects. Does so they give you both file? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we do have retake animators on the team that are only doing animation retakes, so they only work in Flash. But for some reason, I ended up doing both. So like, I get the animation retakes, and then sometimes my uh, production coordinator will just be like, can you also just put it through comp? And then, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, I just end up doing both. And it, it works a little better that way, because I already know what changed in the animation so I know what to fix or like what to look for in comp because sometimes that's an issue that comes up. Like the compositor doesn't know what changed and then they'll, they'll like leave stuff out. So I just I just do everything. <laughs> that makes sense. That's pretty cool. And then being in that kind of role, who do you work with the most? Are you working with the animation supervisor? Yeah, there's like the production manager and the supervising director. And uh, we have like dailies that aren't daily. It's like every other day. Yeah, we just like meet up, go through the shots and they'll give notes. And if we get notes from like network or other places, I don't actually know where all the notes come from, but they like relay the notes to me and like review the work and basically like approve the shots or like tell me to keep fixing certain things. So what is the day to day normally like as a retake animator? So at least for like remote, I don't know if this is any different when things are like in studio, but for now I get like a task list from my production coordinator with all the shots or I get sent a PDF with like the list of shots that I need to fix. And then mm -hmm. like next to the shot, there's the notes and sometimes I'll get drawovers too if there's like bigger things I need to change or redraw or reanimate. And then we don't really have, well, that's, it's not really correct to say we don't have deadlines because we do obviously, but she does, she doesn't like tell me, oh, get this shot done by like this time, this day. Mm -hmm. It's kind of flexible. We do have priority deadlines sometimes. So like if we have a timing lock for an episode, we'll, we'll have more animation reviews, like mm -hmm. other than the dailies, we'll do like reviews over email and stuff. And then I'll have to, you know, make sure I finish certain shots. But other than that, it's kind of flexible. It's just like finish as much as you can and then the tasks will keep rolling and I'll just keep adding to my list and then crossing off the stuff on top. So something I kind of want to ask about, because like you mentioned it earlier, you had a connection at GoSpot that recommended you uh, for Qforce at, at Titmouse and like that connection like really helped you. And you were you were interning there before and then you started working for them for a brief period as well. But how are your internship experience as an animation intern at GoSpot and as well as being a story intern at Taco House, how were those experiences beneficial to you on your animation journey? Yeah, I'd say those two internships, like a lot of it was just trying things I've never done before. And like, as well as learning how to work in a studio environment at GhostBot, I learned how to rig and animate characters in Flash. Later, when I did like some freelance for them, I learned how to do After Effects compositing and like exporting stuff, which that definitely came in handy working on Qforce now, because that's like largely what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, and then at Tonko House, as a story intern... With Ray. <laughs> we were intern buddies. Yeah. I feel like they 
really helped me kind of examine what it means to create a story that you have a personal connection to. Because like while we were there, we were both working on our thesis projects and we got to like get feedback from everyone. And uh, I mm -hmm. think one of the, like the most important takeaways I got from that was just like to put your own personal authenticity into the stories that you make. And then people will when you're like pitching it to people, people will mm -hmm. feel that you have that like personal connection and want to be invested in your story. No, I get, um, those are very like helpful things because yeah like when it comes to like storyboarding or like pitching an idea if people see that you're excited for it or that you have that connection people are more willing to let themselves also develop a connection or get hyped with you and somehow even if you have like a specific experience that still connects with people in ways you didn't know so i think <laughs> really getting to the uh root of the authenticity is mm -hmm. important mm -hmm. i'm curious to kind of go back on compositing at our school, we didn't really learn any compositing nope. um, unless you were on a project that required it. Did they just teach you on the job or did you look it up on YouTube or how did you learn After Effects for yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you said. I just looked it up on YouTube. <laughs> I, a lot of it I just figured out by myself. And for QForce, especially because it's retakes, so I get the compositing files that someone already did. And I'm just like mm -hmm. replacing the animation or fixing the lighting and stuff like that. Like I said, reverse engineer how they put things together. So I learned a lot that way, just like seeing other people's files and then just naturally kind of you know, putting that in my brain, like, okay, so that's how you rim light characters, or this is how you create a mask to like, add all these radiant shadows and stuff like that, and learning on the job. <laughs> and so you talked about it as, as well, like freelancing for GhostBot for a bit. Is it correct to say that your first industry experience outside of school was working for GhostBot as an After Effects artist? How was that transition from being a student to your first industry opportunity? Yeah, I, I mean, interestingly, that it was more of like a brief freelance stint because it was like remote and everything. But that prepared me a lot for the remote pipelines that I'm dealing with now because like everything's <laughs> online and it's just like, oh, email the notes. Uh, you got to upload things to the server and naming conventions and all that stuff. So sure. but yeah, that freelance gig, it was GhostBot was doing an ad campaign for like Diner Dash Adventures. It's like a mobile game. Yeah, I basically helped out with compositing for that and picked up a lot of After Effects skills doing that. Like I said, just like Googling how to do things and like collecting my <laughs> files and <laughs> learning how to structure <laughs> things and export them for delivery. Yeah, it gave me a lot of like valuable experience doing that and working from home. <laughs> oh, that's really great. And then from the looks of it, that experience really carried over to your next job right after that, which was working as an assistant uh, cinematic director at Fog Bank Entertainment. How was that jump from like doing that freelance from GhostBot to this new position or this new opportunity? Yeah, that was my first like in office job, which was great. Mm. And unfortunately, Fog Bank Entertainment, they they died. <laughs> oh. They we were part of Fox Next, which got bought by Disney, and then mm -hmm. Disney decided they didn't need us. So then yeah. <laughs> we that's we honestly that that's such a shame because like okay, so kind of to bring this into the conversation is that we all know that Blue Sky recently finally like died. The the nail in the coffin finally like mm. set in like not too long ago. And the writing was on the wall when Disney did buy, you know, Fox. So Blue Sky is like one of the biggest ones, but Again, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of other smaller studios that got closed down that didn't get as much attention as Blue Sky got. And like you guys were like 
from the scenes of it as soon as the deal went in it's like one of the first ones to go so that kind of that must have been kind of hard yeah and it, it was like a really small company too and we had just we literally just launched the app on the app store and it was like starting to get downloads and everything and we had like a whole fan base and people were getting pumped about new episodes and everything and then yeah we got the news one day that like oh we're gonna close down they took us all into like this room in a hotel and was just like you're all laid off goodbye oh <laughs> that sucks yeah but honestly like it, it did suck a lot and it was really sad because we were developing so many projects and like shows and different like yeah, yeah cool there were mm-hmm. so many cool stories. That's why I took that job in the first place is because they were telling me about all these things they were developing. Like they had like a cool time travel story. There's like an apocalypse story, like cop story, buddy cops mm-hmm. and stuff. And that like really appealed to me. Yeah, it's all NDA now. And some of them were completely finished episodes and the app is just gone now. So they'll never see the light of day. Oh, yeah. That's just a shame. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's like it was probably good that I got that experience early on in my career rather than later because yeah, now funny. i know like nothing's permanent <laughs> <laughs> no one is safe from the mouse. Yeah. <laughs> what a real life lesson to learn at such a early stage in your career but <laughs> but I, i'm also assuming that you in that brief thing you probably still learned a lot in your time there mm-hmm. yeah that was like the first time i had worked in games but it's like a visual narrative game. So it's kind of like visual novel, like choose your visual own adventure novel. type where it's like mm-hmm. there's a lot of text on the screen and like the character shows up and like talks and stuff. And you have to like yeah. choose different choices mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to make the story go forward. And that was really mm-hmm. interesting because I had never worked on something like that before where there's like multiple endings and you have to you, you did have to actually like make content for each storyline. So it was like. Mm-hmm not just working on one story you had to do like 10 different stories and you also had the option of choosing how your character looked too so Mm -hmm. sometimes you would have to do like different things depending on how the character looks you have to put in different art and different performance acting clips Mm -hmm. yeah it was a really interesting experience something that you mentioned earlier when you were at tunnel house you were developing your thesis for your capstone at san jose state university And for those that might not be aware, Denise Chan is the director of the award-winning short film Kairu. And for our audience, uh, we've had a couple of people that worked on Kairu in previous episodes, like Brandon Louie and Rebecca Chan. But for those of you that may not have listened to this episode, just kind of a brief overview of what is Kairu. It's about a photographer named Mitsuko who feels like her work isn't good enough and struggles with self-doubt. Throughout the course of the film, we follow her emotional state resolving in her remembering what drives her art. What was your goal in creating and directing this film? Honestly, I think my goal was ultimately just to see if I could find a way for other people to like understand my feelings. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, I feel like I can be pretty blunt about it, but I've always dealt with a lot of like self-doubt, self-worth issues and insecurities about my art. Like, I'm sure everyone goes through that. Like, sometimes look back at your art and you just feel like, why does this suck so much? Like, it's not up to my standards. And then, you know, get really frustrated and not want to look at it anymore. And that's pretty much what Mitsuko, the main character, goes through in the film. She's, like, having a fine old time just taking her photos and, like, going around the forest. And you're like, oh, there's a frog. Cute. I'm going to take a photo of it. But when she looks at the final product of the, like, 
photo she took, she's disappointed and it culminates in her, like, <laughs> I guess, throwing a tantrum and destroying the dark room and breaking her camera. And basically, she has to remember why she even loved photography in the first place, which is kind of something similar that I've been going through. It's just like remembering that art is fun. Like, sure, it's frustrating when it doesn't look good and like the end product isn't how you imagined it. But like the process of making it, at least for me, like coming up with different characters and stories, just designing whatever you want, drawing whatever you want, making something out of nothing, like objectively, isn't that just like really cool? Like you're making stuff like it's mm -hmm. so cool. <laughs> and as a kid, I loved doing stuff like that. I started out tracing like coloring books of like magical girls and stuff that I bought in Taiwan. <laughs> that was like how I started drawing. But that like, I had so much fun doing that, that I started sketching, you know, dumb OCs to, to role play with my friends during recess. And like elementary school kids, they're like really easily impressed. So whenever there's a kid that can draw, it's like you have a superpower, basically, like, oh, you're the you're the art kid, you can draw. That's so cool. Like, do my do my homework whenever we have like an art assignment. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah basically that like childhood energy and creativity i just think it's it's so important to like keep that into adulthood mm. and like we get really caught up in all these adult expectations and like career stuff and we just forget to have freaking fun like <laughs> it's animation it's supposed to be fun and yeah, that's basically the journey that Mitsuko goes through in the film, except with photography rather than art. Yeah, it's interesting talking sort of about the development of Kairu. I remember we had taken a class together where you make your own short film kind of by yourself, not in a group project. And you were working on a story, like a concept that, um, correct me if I'm mistaken, sort of developed into Kairu eventually, right? Yeah, yeah, a Like it had bit, very yeah. similar themes of like self-doubt and stuff like that. Yeah, you can probably tell I've <laughs> struggled with that a lot, but it's like, yeah, it's something that I really want wanted to try to like portray in a way that like other people could relate to. So yeah, it's something I've always wanted to make a film about basically. I mean, that that particular film that you're talking about was more about like writer's block and feeling like, I don't know what to make. I just need like nothing's good enough. I just need to like figure out what to do. <laughs> I feel like that kind of shows the growth I had between like yeah. writer's block and Kairu is that Kairu I figured out like I need to have fun. <laughs> writer's mm. block, I was still just like. I'm not having fun. <laughs> like in the low place. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Really I never, interesting. I, yeah, I never thought about that. Like I haven't looked back at that old film in a while. <laughs> That's a great connection that you made. Yuki is almost like a precursor to Kairu. It's like almost like the lost film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was interesting to me too, because both of them sort of had this abstract watery thing. And Kaidu's a di very different film from that, but kind of seeing a director grow and like their own mental, I guess, emotional journey, <laughs> like making a piece of art. I think that's very powerful, very cool stuff. And I mean, not just your films, but the films of our peers, it happened a lot. And I think that's really interesting. So something I also kind of want to ask about um, in regards to Kairu is that you can, I know the reasoning, but for those that may not know the reasoning, what's the reasoning behind the naming of Kairu and what does that stand for? Yes. 
I love explaining this part. <laughs> so, um, kaeru, it can mean a lot of different things in uh, Japanese. Well, which, by the way, I minored in Japanese in college, and I also did study a- abroad there for like a month during my time in college. I'm not Japanese, but I like know Japanese, and that's why I came up with this title. But basically, kaeru can mean frog. Which is why there's a lot of frogs in the film.、Oh. <laughs> uh, it can also mean to return or like go home. And it can also mean to change. So those are three. I mean, the frog is just like a visual thing, but like to return and to change, those are like very prevalent themes in Kaeru. So when we were coming up with the title, yeah, I just thought that was perfect. <laughs> No, it is. It's,、yeah. it's, a, it's a very、uh, well named short film. Thank you. <laughs> I think it fits very well. So, what advice would you actually give to students in college right now that are producing or making their own film and they want to direct their own film? Like, don't do it for your portfolio, is what I would say. Like, if you're working on something, work on it for you. Make, it's, it should be something that you're like passionate about. Like, I know it's for school and you're like technically doing it. For a grade or to graduate or whatever. But, like, at its core, doing art, it should be something you enjoy. And, like, I keep saying this, but, like, have fun. Like, I feel <laughs> like that was something that was missing from a lot of my art. Like, when I started college, it was so overwhelming. Like, oh, I need to get all these technical skills and, like,、oh, I don't know how to paint or, like, figure draw or anything. It's like everything's so overwhelming and I'm not having fun anymore because it's just like, Oh, I'm getting graded on this, or like、mm-hmm. my professor said I can't draw anime. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, just have fun. Do what you want. If you want to make an anime, make an anime. Something else I kind of want to touch on as well, because like Kairu did really well on the film circuit. You guys had a successful Kickstarter for the project, but something that I think might be some cool information that you can probably bestow on students that are, are trying to produce their own short films with friends or at school is that you guys actually reached out to TV Paint and got either TV Paint for free or at a reduced price to kind of like produce the short film. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, it was totally like we weren't expecting it either, but we had been talking to our professor Raquel about it and she's like, oh, like you could. Totally just email the companies and see if they can, you know, help you out because you're students. And even if they don't reply, like at least you tried. And she was telling us about like applying to different grants and stuff as well. But at that time, we were just like, it would be cool if we could use TV Paint because like me and Ray were, had been using it at Tonko House. And TV Paint's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I had gotten used to using it for 2D animation. And I was like, if we're doing this lineless style for Kaeru, I was like, it would be cool if we could use TV Paint for it. So we ended up emailing them. Brandon, who has been on your podcast, he was、um, our producer. So he was more in charge of like emails and stuff like that. So he shot them an email with our like project pitch attached to it through like Google Slides. And then we're like, hey, we're a bunch of students that want to make a short film and we want to use your program. Would it be possible? To get TV paint. And we didn't, we didn't get it for free, but they offered a discounted, like on top of the student discount that you could already get. And we also got an extra, I think, 20% off the like standard version.、Mm-hmm. And that was for like, I want to say we got like four dongles. That's the other thing with TV paint is that like you have to use it with a dongle, and the dongle is like, <laughs> I hate it, but can't lose it. Yeah. Can't lose it. <laughs> 
And also, just really quickly, for those that may not know, a dongle is just basically like a thumb drive. So with TD Paint, not only do you have to have like have downloaded the software, but the dongle is what actually kind of allows you to access the program. So it just basically takes up like a USB like slot. But if you have like Cintiq, most people just end up connecting it on the side. So it's like fine. <laughs> Although now, now, because I upgraded to the new MacBook Pro and the dongle's not compatible, they have a dongleless version. So if you like email them and say that you can't use the dongle, they'll let you install the dongleless version. So I don't have the dongle anymore. I'm finally free. <laughs> I do think that's funny. Well, I mean, okay, so TV Paint is an animation program. It is like a little bit more on the painterly side. So like if you want more of a Photoshop feel. Mm. Yeah, it's basically, TV Paint is basically what it would be if you could actually animate cohesively on Photoshop. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's really conducive to those lineless kind of styles. I think, like, because when you buy the dongle, you have the program. It's not like a subscription, like Adobe, which is, like, in my opinion, way better. <laughs> but it is super expensive to yeah. buy it in the first place. But it is yeah, good to sure. know that those options are available for students. You can get it at a discount. Mm-hmm. Going beyond uh, Kairu, one of the other things that you've done outside of that is that you actually made a webcomic alongside Jeanette Lau called The Third Ranger, a short story about two elven forest rangers and a horned wolf pup and how they wind up in the wild. How was that experience jumping into the webcomic space? And is it something that you plan to pursue more in the future? But yeah, that was right in the middle of like the pandemic being in full swing and me being unemployed and my friend Jeanette also being un- unemployed. And we were just like, oh, we should totally work on something together. She actually reached out to me after having seen like Webtoons was doing a short story contest. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, hey, we should like collab on something. She's a writer. She studied abroad in England to do creative writing and like is working on a novel and stuff like that. Whoa. Um, so and we go way back. Like we, we've been friends since high school. And we used to be like devil's partners in badminton. So we <laughs> we, we have that <laughs> so like cute. kind of partner dynamic too. Like on top of being like, oh, you're an artist and a writer combo. So mm-hmm. it was kind of, it's like, it's a good partnership to have. But yeah, so she reached out and it was a pretty condensed timeline because like by the time she reached out to me, there was like two months left before the deadline for the contest. Mm-hmm. Like we had no ideas like for what the story was going to be or character designs or anything. Mm -hmm. So two months ideation to completion. And I definitely rush a lot of the art. We learned things like there's a size limit or how long your chapter can be in Webtoon. So like the first chapter, when I tried to upload it, (laughs) we realized that I could only actually fit the first like quarter of it. (laughs) So we had to like rewrite the story to fit in like fewer panels basically Mm -hmm. that was a whole ordeal um (laughs) wow but ultimately like it was a really fun experience like especially learning with webtoons you're supposed to read it on your phone or like scrolling or whatever so go down not left to right or right to left Mm -hmm. if you're manga yeah (laughs) that vertical format was really interesting to figure out at first Mm. just it's a very different way of like having to compose a panel if you know Mm -hmm. that someone's like going to be scrolling past it as opposed to like flipping so that that was really interesting and figuring out how much like white space to leave so it reads well when you scroll but in terms of like whether or not i would do it again like i'm not sure if i would 
pick it up again anytime soon unless I thought of a story that would really, you know, suit that format. Comics is definitely like an interesting space. It's definitely like it has such a strong community, but there's it's just so much. Yeah, there's like a lot out there. It's like, yeah, wanting to have the right story to tell in that kind of medium, just because you also want to respect the medium as well. Yeah, I will say like Webtoons is a pretty good platform. Like it was a really good experience uploading things and then I think because it we tagged it as part of the contest and people were like looking through the entries yeah. and stuff like that, we did get like more of an audience than I think if we just started randomly. That was cool too, seeing Webtoons readers like come and comment things or like leave reviews, stuff like that. Like that was pretty fun. So on the topic of like, you know, telling stories, does like your cultural background play a role in the stories that you want to tell or tell in the future? Yeah, I think it does with the stories that I develop like on my own time. I always try to like make sure oh, there's always an Asian character because I'm Asian and that's like part of my identity. So I want to make sure I'm like mm-hmm. being true, true to mm-hmm. myself. Also, I am really interested in developing stories that are based in Taiwan because like my mom's Taiwanese. I've been to Taiwan a lot growing up, uh, visiting relatives there. And it's just it's I really love the culture there and the food and like the transportation system is so much better. <laughs> in most of Asia, it's, it's a lot better than here. Yeah. I think part of why I'm so into like Japanese culture is because I got exposed a lot to that in Taiwan. Like I watch a lot of anime in Taiwan, albeit like Mandarin dubbed. Japanese culture is actually like an anime stuff is like pretty big in Taiwan. So that's how I <laughs> that is how I became a weeb. <laughs> but yeah, I I do want to like bring more attention to like Taiwanese culture through, mm. through my stories and stuff like that. That's really cool. No, that's great. Kind of like briefly mentioned as well. It's like when we because Denise and I are from the same graduating class for story at the San Jose State Animation Illustration Program. And yeah, like one of it, like one of your pitches or like we had to develop like a fun pitch Bible was yeah, it kind of said in Taiwan, I thought it was such a fun concept. So I like that, like, you're telling stories true to your culture, and you're inspired by it. And like, you're like wanting to share it more with the world. And I think that's beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> so something I kind of also want to ask about is that like, for like the audience, because again, we all know that the industry can be really tough. The industry can be really nomadic. And yeah, the industry is sometimes unpredictable. So since your time at Bob Bank Entertainment, it's almost been nearly a full year before your current position at Titmouse. But between that period, you were obviously doing some freelance work. You did the webcomic. And obviously because the short film Cairo was such a banger and like, you know, did really well. It was like you were also doing a lot of panels and stuff related to your short film and going to these different film festivals virtually, of course. And no, and physical, you, your your film was also around. You got it out early enough where you got to yeah, actually go to yeah, some physical stuff as well, <laughs> which was great. But yeah, during that period between Fogbank and Titmouse, was there anything else that you did to kind of sharpen your skills? Or did you kind of use it to give yourself a break? Because I think that's something that our audience might find interesting is that sometimes there might be a long stint between jobs when you're finally out of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I appreciate you bringing up that question because I do think it's important to like talk about like you're not always going to get a job right out of school like no matter your skill level sometimes it's just like timing especially for me after getting laid off from fog bank that was in like february of 2020 and after that i was like okay i'll just take a break i got some like severance pay so i can like take take a couple 
<laughs> weeks and not job hunt for a while. So I did that. But then, you know, pandemic hit and a couple weeks <laughs> turned into like, <laughs> what is it, like 10 months of uh, not being full time employed. Like, like you said, I was mm -hmm. doing other things on the side, like uh, the webcomic and freelance stuff, but not gonna lie. I had like a bit of an existential crisis while I was at Fog Bank. I had kind of built up certain expectations for like what my career path would be there. Like, okay, I'm an assistant cinematic director. I'm going to like work on all these shows. Then I can make my way up to like director and, you know, be able to contribute more. But then, you know, Disney happened. <laughs> the mouse <laughs> happened. And literally a month after... <laughs> There was a global pandemic and there was just like this whole dark stretch of time where it didn't seem like things were going to get better, like pandemic wise. And job hunting just felt like, you know, endless void of <laughs> rejection, <laughs> especially because things were still like transitioning to remote and there wasn't a lot of places hiring because they didn't know what that was going to look like yet. Like, how are we going to mm -hmm. hire new people when we don't know how to onboard them during this time? So, yeah, I kind of just took time to figure out what I wanted to do next or yeah, just like even what I wanted to do at all, because during college, I'd been focusing on my story portfolio. But then with Fog Bank, I ended up in mobile games, which is still like related. I was still working on like story and cinematic composition and everything, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like a storyboarding gig. So after that was over, I wasn't 100 percent sure if I really wanted to go back to storyboarding, especially when it seemed like at the time, the only projects hiring were like preschool or kids shows, which are totally valid. And there's nothing wrong with working on those. But it just if we're talking story, I don't think I'm really suited for that. Like right now I'm in adult animation with Q-Force and I, I, I've been enjoying that a lot. Personally, I really like, I guess, gritty stories with like, mm. I've said this before, but like... <laughs> I, I like stories with emotionally constipated adults that are arguing <laughs> and like <laughs> and and like where people die. <laughs> like I love I love dark stories like that. I guess to go back to my existential crisis, like with Kairu, the whole point of it was that, you know, I need to re reconnect with myself and remember why I even like art in the first place. Right. So you can probably tell I was trying a lot of different things, the webcomic and the freelance. And I pretty much made it a policy to say yes to everything because I'm still figuring out what I wanted to do with my career and everything. But other than that, I spent a lot of time stuck inside like everyone else watching a lot of stuff. I feel like that actually helped me a lot because I watched a ton of anime. <laughs> I fell into, I also fell into the VTuber rabbit hole, which <laughs> if anyone's been like following me on social media, you can tell that I've been like sucked into it. I, I fell down the hole and I never crawled back out. <laughs> and yeah, just like finding new stuff that I like and drawing fan art again, it's kind of helped bring back that like kid in me that just drew a bunch of stuff because it was cool. I finally feel like I'm having a lot of fun doing it. And like I made a secret side account for all my weave and VTuber stuff <laughs> for my like Twitter because like I, there's like my professional side. That I'm like, OK, I should probably only post story things. But then if I want to draw fan art of VTubers and stuff, I'm like, I should do that on a separate 
place (laughs) (laughs) on your secret account yeah i mean i don't i don't mind if people find out about it which is why i'm like bringing it up now i feel like that's that gave me a lot of freedom or like Mm. it took the pressure off of feeling like all my social media has to be for my portfolio but i can just draw and post whatever i want on there and it's been a lot of fun part of it too is because that account because i watch a lot of japanese vtubers Mm. so my side account i only tweet in japanese <laughs> so that's part of why I wanted to keep it separate because it felt really weird if I'm on my main account and then suddenly mm-hmm. like everyone's timeline is flooded with like stuff they can't read. So I was just like, I'm just gonna separate these two worlds. <laughs> Who's your favorite VTuber? Ah, uh, my favorite right now. I really love like so VTubers. There's like a lot of independent ones, but um, mm. there's also like companies that manage VTuber yeah. groups and stuff like that. So. I did not know that. I'm learning. Yeah, it's so interesting. Do you interesting. know what a VTuber is, Ray? Yeah, do you? It's, I, I know what a VTuber is. It's one of those people that have that un- augmented reality anime personality, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they have like a, a puppet that moves with them in real time. But yeah. yeah. That. And they're they're basically like celebrities or idols. Um, yeah. Kind of. Some of them saying, not all of them saying, but like, yeah, they like play games or just do an AMA or they like hang out or whatever. When they work in companies, they do a lot of crossovers and stuff. Okay. Yeah. And right now there's like two big, bigger companies, I guess, like in Japan, mm-hmm. there's Holo- Hololive, Hololive mm-hmm. and Niji Sanji. And I mm-hmm. personally really like Niji Sanji because that's like Hol- Hololive is all the idols and like the cute girls and they do weird stuff too. But Niji Sanji is like, that's where you find the degenerates. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's where the weird shit goes down like they'll like it. have weird conversations about like kinks and stuff sometimes or they'll they'll they're just yeah they're a whole other level <laughs> good to know <laughs> and they do have like that idol side like that's part of what got me into them is a lot of them do sing and they do like vocaloid covers and i was really into vocaloid in high mm. school and stuff so it's really fun hearing them sing all the songs I like and anime songs and they'll do karaoke streams and stuff. And those are really cool to have on during work. But yeah, I'd say <laughs> my favorite VTuber right now is probably uh, his name's Kaida Haru. And he has like this really nice like voice. Like he sounds so gentle. <laughs> but when he plays games, he'll, <laughs> he gets so immature and like, screams and like yodels <laughs> but yeah oh my god that's <laughs> it's an interesting space i would i'd like to learn more but i don't know if i want to fall in that rabbit hole just yet don't yeah Ray. it's okay if you don't i'm telling you you don't <laughs> but something that i actually found really interesting and i think it's something that we should highlight is that you are currently a founding member of the SHM Film Collective. Uh, Can you talk to us what is the SHM Film Collective and the goal behind it? Yeah, so the SHM Film Collective, our good professor, Raquel Quelho, she reached out to a couple alumni last summer about forming the collective. And basically, like the goal is to help support and provide resources for students and alumni of the program who want to produce their own films. And also we wanted to establish an archive for all the films that already like exist in the program so that SJSU can become like more well-known as a film school. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Raquel Mm -hmm. 
mentions this a lot, but like looking at Cal Arts and how their school is always associated with like all these crazy good thesis shorts and students always get like hired right away after graduating from there. So mm-hmm. we really want SJSU to start building that kind of a reputation too, like all these rock star films coming, coming out of the program. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so far we've been helping to match like current thesis groups with mentors. I've met up with one of the groups myself to give some advice. And I think especially when it's everything's remote like this, it's just that much more important to build chances to network and give or get feedback from people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm really glad we put this together to like help out the students. And and eventually we want to like help out alumni too that want to make their own like independent content. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, I think that's great. That's that's starting up. It's something that I think that also be cool too is the like eventually building a network with other state schools. Because I think yeah. one of the things that like kind of you mentioned is like CalArts does have an amazing reputation for their short films, but there's other schools as well that also have like great reputations that aren't as heard about. Mm-hmm. That are developing great talent, fostering great artists that are graduating from those schools that don't get heard about all that often. But do you guys see SHM Film Collective? Uh, but yeah, do you guys see yourself maybe like collaborating with Fullerton or Northridge or even Long Beach and kind of building kind of like almost like a Cal State like archive of stuff and kind of like building each other up in that way? Uh, I don't think we've discussed that before, but like now that you're bringing it up, I think that would be a really cool idea. Like collaborating mm-hmm. with the other other schools and expanding the collective i will bring that up at the next board meeting <laughs> that sounds like a fucking cult though expanding the collective <laughs> we're already a cult might as we well are. <laughs> didn't you didn't you drink the uh, special punch at the oh sorry you didn't oh, all right no I, yeah I, I drink the warm soda uh. <laughs> and cold pizza <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Drink your cold pizza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let's 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 move on. So Denise, is there any future aspirations that you have for yourself in the animation industry? It's kind of a loaded question because like I mentioned before, but I think like setting up expectations like for career stuff, I mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of destroyed me for a while. Like feeling like I'm getting <laughs> mm-hmm. pigeonholed into like I need to be a story artist no matter what. And I'm feeling pressured to apply for story jobs that I already knew I didn't want because it's like Baby Shark. Not not that there's anything wrong <laughs> with Baby Shark. Like, I'm not trying to diss preschool or like anyone that works in that wanna, space. It's just like, do it. yeah, yeah, it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. But I was having that crisis of like, that's the only story jobs there are. And I want to be a story artist. What do I do? I don't want to like tailor my portfolio for that kind of thing because it's not me. So yeah, now I feel like it's definitely more important to focus on like the present, make sure, again, I'm having fun and feeling like I'm Mm -hmm. contributing to stories that feel like worthwhile to me personally. Like I'm really jealous of people who know exactly what they're good at or exactly what they love to do. I feel like I'm still figuring it out. Like, I know I said, like, I I love stories about emotionally constipated adults arguing, but like, (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to find. There's like not that many projects that like do that kind of thing i guess at least not for western audiences yeah like adult animation working in that space has been really interesting because like the scripts are like with q force the scripts are really funny and like the executive producers like one of them was the showrunner for the good place on nbc which is like that's such a great show so like you know the writing is like quality writing And that's something I really love looking for in stories is like if the script is good, it's kind of it's it's hard job hunting when, you know, there's like a certain thing you like, but you don't know where you can 
work to like find it. Like I, I do have that big end goal dream of like, you know, becoming a showrunner, getting making your own content, having your own IP. But I definitely think I need to rack up some more experience before I get to that point. It'll it'll be interesting to look back on this later too, because I'm actually wrapping on Q Force in June and then starting to look for what I can work on next. So I don't know if it'll be animation or if I'll find storyboarding. Like Titmouse has a lot of really cool projects that would be fun to storyboard on. So like, please hit mm -hmm. me up. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I don't know what I'll be doing. It could be some like newfangled job doing something I never imagined again. Cause like, I didn't think about retakes before, but then I started doing it. I'm like, this is yeah, I really enjoy this job. So I'm just trying to keep an open mind to whatever comes along next. Yeah, I uh, recently saw this was a Mads Mikkelsen quote, but in an interview, they were asking him, I guess this is a similar question of like, what are you doing in the future? And his response was the most important thing to me is what I'm doing in the present. Like I make it a priority to make that the most important thing because that as long as I do the most important thing right now, then whatever I do in the future, like it's not a stepping stone for success. It's a series of important things that I've been doing. And when I look at, back on them, it's like it's time well spent, you know, because they were all important, you know, instead of always trying to achieve the next thing, <laughs> running on a hamster wheel uh he is like uh setting himself up to be like yeah that was a thing that i did that was important that wasn't like the end goal was not to achieve the most in my career i think i think you're on a similar thing to just enjoy what you are doing is my point yeah i like that's a really good way of looking at it yeah yeah <laughs> i was like oh, strangely <laughs> profound <laughs> So to kind of start wrapping things up, is there any final advice that you would want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in the animation industry? Yeah, I think building off of the last question, just like don't rush it. It's okay to take breaks, figure things out as you go. The world is crazy right now. If you don't get a job right away, a lot of the times it's not your fault. Like my 10 month stint of unemployment or I was technically freelancing, so I guess I was self-employed. but. Like, I did do a lot of interviews. I like reached out to people, but a lot of it was just like because it's remote, you don't have the experience. We can't like onboard people at this time. So, a lot of times it's timing, it's just experience. You'll get it eventually. Like, whether or not you make it into the industry right this second, it does not at all reflect on your worth as a human being like that's something i really <laughs> want to drive home to everyone is just like if you're not a fancy like director or like whatever role that you're aiming for it's okay for a bunch of people that are trying to work on cartoons i think we all need to take it a little less seriously <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's what i would say <laughs> no well put Excellent advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you would like to plug? Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I guess just follow me on Instagram, Twitter at DChanimation. If you want to try to track down my secret grit Twitter, you can. The VTuber Twitter. <laughs> I'm not going to disclose it here, but you know it exists. Um, <laughs> links to like my portfolio and stuff are on in my bio and 
Twitter and Instagram and everything. So you can find me on there. Kairu's on YouTube, right? Yes. Watch Kairu yes. on YouTube. Thank you. <laughs> it's on it's on YouTube, Vimeo, IGTV. Yeah. Anywhere. Nice. If you bother looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's super easy. Yeah, and our Kairu Instagram or social media handle is at Kairu Short Film. So you can find some behind the scenes stuff on there. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, if you enjoyed our interview with Denise today, please rate us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP and let us know your response to today's in-between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, get in contact with us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please get in touch with us. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.